Hello and welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm Andrew Rayburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. In this episode, we speak to Hannah Duncan, a UEFA B licensed coach currently working with under seven boys at a Premier League club, having previously coached a team from under 11s to under 16s at an FA Women's National League club. Uh, she's still playing as well as captain of Whiteleaf in the fifth tier of the Women's Pyramid in England. And we have to declare an interest as well uh, because she is also the editor of our sister title, Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine. Uh, Hannah, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on. Now, firstly, uh, just give us an outline then of your uh, your coaching background and your career so far. Yeah, well, I think as you said in your um, in your intro, I've, I'm currently coaching um, in the foundation phase uh, at a development centre as part of a, a Premier League club. Um, so predominantly working with the under sevens, um, but also occasionally sort of dipping in with the under eights, nines, tens and elevens as well. Um, prior to that, um, yeah, I coached a girls team from under 11s through to under 16s um, and stepped away from them uh, only really a couple of months ago, um, just for sort of logistical reasons, really. I just couldn't couldn't make it all fit in, unfortunately, um, but absolutely loved my time working with them. Um, I've also done a little bit of coaching with representative team for prep schools um, in the southeast of England. So we took them to the Gothia Cup in Sweden a couple of years ago um should have gone a couple more times but obviously because of Covid it, it all got cancelled so unfortunately we've only done that trip uh once with them so far um but that was that was fantastic as well um yeah and started coaching when I was about 17 I think I did my level one um through to doing my UEFA B license in 2019. So first of all just touching on that um the, the, the girls team um Describe the process of taking a team from under 11s to under 16s, because I imagine it's quite a challenge both in terms of the soccer and their own personal development as well, because that is an age where they 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 transform entirely, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, it can be really beneficial to, to stick with the same team through the age groups because you develop really, you know, really good relationship with the players, which is, you know, obviously a key uh, a key factor in in coaching is having those, you know, those really good in-depth relationships where, you understand them as, as people as well as players and, you know, you can really sort of get to grips with um, different aspects of their of their game through, over the years. But um, obviously you've then got the challenge of, you know, coaching them under 11's age is very different to, to coaching them under 16's age, both through them, you know, having developed um as people, but also, you know, you're putting on completely different sessions. So that's, there's that challenge to go with it, but you kind of, I think if you stay with the same team, you, you end up kind of developing yourself along the process as well. Um, so it's really good to get that experience. Um, you know, some coaches like to specialise with a certain age group and that's that's great too. Um, but for me, especially sort of early in my coaching journey, I think it's been really good to, to kind of have that experience of different age groups in the foundation phase through to the youth development phase. And And how do you do it? Do you... Um, you know, obviously you, you teach the basics that they would need to, to, to have at, at 11s. And then is it is it the same thing that sort of just layered on top each year as a sort of a spiral effect where it just gets more and more in depth? You know, or do you teach them different concepts at different ages? 
you know, how does it work when you progress them up through the age groups? Yeah, a bit of everything, really. So obviously, you're always going to have the, the kind of core skills and, and things like that that underpin everything. So whether that's sort of technic- uh, technical or physical, social, you're always going to have the key things that that you will build upon year on year. And as you say, sort of layer in more information as they get older and get a, a deeper game understanding. And, you know, you're trying to do things like develop them as leaders or you're trying to develop their sort of decision-making skills so they're not overly reliant on you as the coach, especially like during a game and things like that. So you're always trying to layer those things on top. But then you've also got factors to consider as well, like going from 7v7 to 9v9 to 11v11. You've got the introduction of offsides um, and all that kind of thing that, you know, you need to be um, building that in as well as, as they develop through the age group. So you've got different tactical aspects you've got you know different formations you've got you know 7v7 you might be playing with a a back two or or whatever formation you play and then uh, 11v11 you might have a a back four or a you know play with a back three and five in the field wing backs or whatever your formation or preferred formation is um but you've got all of those factors to to consider as well but because it's such a long-term process it's not none of this is overnight so in that respect it's kind of easy in a way to kind of develop it over time you're not trying to throw this information onto them you know in the space of a year or two years it's it's something that you can build up for you know season after season so um yeah in that respect there's there's many aspects to it but as I say when you're kind of working with the same team you kind of grow with them so you don't you know you don't really feel overwhelmed by yeah so you look at it in isolation like now you think at all the all the different things you might have taught them over the time and, and that kind of thing. You think, oh, well, that's actually like a lot of stuff. But when you're doing it, you know, week on week, season on season, it's, it's not too daunting. What ages then? You talked about tactics and, and positions and stuff like that. You know, how do you go about, um, you know, introducing the fixed positional sides of the game and making sure that they're also, as well as, you know, they're f- as well as the being fluent and, 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 accomplished in positions that they're also flexible as well yeah I mean obviously certainly at the younger age groups I would never want my players to be to come up and say I'm a striker or I'm a I'm a defender or whatever it is it's you know they get I want to be giving young players especially as many opportunities to experience different positions as possible not just for their own development but also you know for the understanding of the game they know you know, I'm a I'm a fullback, but I also need to know what the what the player in front of me, their roles and responsibilities are. I need to know what the centre back's roles and responsibilities are because that's all built into your own game understanding. And you know, as I talked about earlier, developing leaders and developing decision makers, players need to have that kind of holistic view of of the whole you know the whole game, the whole pitch, the whole you know all their teammates and and their roles and responsibilities. So. I think from a young age, it's important not to pigeonhole players into a specific position, especially, you know, even things like physical attributes. So like a goalkeeper, you might have a tall seven, eight, nine year old, but are they going to be still be the tallest player when they're 18, 19? Or, you know, are they going to stop growing at some point and suddenly they can't be a goalkeeper anymore? Or, you know, all these sorts of things that you need to consider. So I think it's important to really give players as many opportunities to experience different positions as possible. And then as they go through the age groups, that might be when you kind of say, right, this is your primary position, this is your secondary position. Um, and then you start to specialise a bit more and give them kind of more information, you know, relating to their specific position. And then you look at, like I said, physical attributes or or technical, tactical attributes, whatever it is relating to those positions. So 
um yeah I think that's that's really important to ensure that that's kind of again built up over time and hopefully you'll have a player at 15 16 who has a you know really good in-depth game understanding and can play in two or three positions you know equally as well let's take you now on to sort of um sort of practical advice for coaches in, in a few different areas first of all obviously when you've got a youth uh, group and an age group you've got mixed ability it go you know it goes without saying um so how do you deal with mixed ability groups and what sort of tips have you picked up along the way about sort of balancing that out yeah that really is one of the sort of biggest challenges especially when it comes to grassroots football where you know perhaps it might be different if you're working in a in an RTC or an academy an elite environment where you've got players that you know are generally very similar in terms of ability level but grassroots like you say it can can be so wide-ranging that it's from a coaching perspective it can be quite a challenge to deal with I think the important thing is knowing your players knowing them as individuals and knowing what their needs and motivations are so you know, perhaps if you've got a player who struggles um, with the ball at their feet and, you know, needs a bit more time to make a decision or a bit more time to execute a skill, perhaps you can kind of mark out within your area like a, you know, like a safe space for them so they could, you know, dribble into that area and that gives them a chance to get a few touches on the ball in that area before they dribble out again and maybe then take on a player or make a pass or or something like that. Or for very young foundation age players, you could start with like, a ball in their hand rather than at their feet just so they get used to the movement they get used to the pattern or whatever it is that you're doing and then you can introduce dribbling or or running with the ball or passing or you know whatever the skill is that you're looking at so there's different ways to introduce different challenges and I think as well as looking at those players who are perhaps of a lesser ability at a certain age you've also got to make sure that you're still challenging those players that are of a higher ability and they don't end up getting bored or held back or, or whatever by the by the other players so it's just making sure that all of the players in your team are being catered for and are being challenged at a level that's appropriate to them. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for, you know, potentially splitting groups up. So you've got some of the, you know, lesser ability players playing together and then the the stronger players playing together. So they, they've got that appropriate um, challenge and, you know, they can get a bit of, bit of success. But equally mixing it up, it gives those stronger players a chance to, you know, perhaps help the, the weaker players develop, give them a bit of insight into how a skill is performed or the intensity that it needs to be be done at or whatever it is. So, you know, there's a, there's good arguments for both. And I think making just making sure that your players are getting the right um, sessions to meet their own individual needs is really important. And then obviously with that age group that you had in particular, taking them from 11s to 16s, essentially it's, it's you know, in, in England, it's the, the secondary school um, age groups. Um, we t- touched on, you know, it's personal development as well, but also, you know, personal issues. There's going to be personality changes. Players who were, you know, you thought were one thing at 11 suddenly become different at 14 or 15 because of the world around them, because of home, because of school. It's often said by coaches that, you know, coaches are, you know, third in terms of contact time in terms, you know, behind home and school. So you're the third most important people in those, you know, young girls in this instance, you know, in they, these young girls' lives. How much, do, you know, where is the line drawn for you in terms of how much you need to get involved 
because it can affect their football, can't it? And it can. You've got to understand the the pastoral care side of it as well without overreaching. And that can be a difficult line to 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 let difficult balance to draw, I guess. Yeah, and I think like the thing really for coaches is in some respects that you know, while you are in charge and while you can tell them off and tell them what to do and all the rest of it, they look up to you in a different way that they look up to perhaps teachers at school or even parents because you've got that shared interest, you've got that, you know, you're passionate about football and they're passionate about football and that's the thing they love doing. And it's the thing that they come to you know they have to go to school but they choose to come to football and they choose to enjoy football in their spare time and you know you're the one that's part of that so I think in some respects you you kind of have that different relationship to them than a teacher would um or even you know than their parents would um so you know you can be you know if you get a good relationship with your players you can be entrusted with them telling you things that perhaps they wouldn't tell a teacher or tell their mum or dad um which, you know, sometimes can be really nice because it, you know, it means you've got that relationship with them. That means that you've got, you know, a better ability to coach them. Um, but equally, it means you can potentially be told some things at certain times that, you know, you then have to think about, oh, what is this a safeguarding issue? Or is this a, you know, how do I, is this an issue they've got with another player that, you know, doesn't sound great and I need, to, how do I deal with this? And do I need to get parents involved? Do I need to get the club involved? And, you know, fortunately, I've never really had anything too drastic um, with the group that I worked with. But certainly you could see them go, say, from under 11s where they're very innocent. The worst thing that happens is they have a bit of a falling out with each other in the playground or they go to school together or, you know, oh, so-and-so's not talking to me today or, you know, whatever. And it's that's about as bad as it gets. But then, by the time they hit sort of 15, 16, it's, you know, it's a very different scenario and relationships are very different. And then suddenly you've got other factors involved and it, that are suddenly more serious. So you might have, you know, boyfriend issues at school or girlfriend issues at school or, you know, a couple of pl- the players on the team start seeing each other and then they break up and it's, you know, you've got a lot more, you know, a, a whole host of other things that come into it outside of, you know, the, like I said, the basic, oh, so-and-so's not talking to me. So, you know, you have to be aware of those things that can come into it. And, you know, then you've got far more serious things that, you know, whole safeguarding issues, like I was saying. But, yeah, it's a it's a very, it can be a tricky, you know, tightrope at, at times because, I say, you are in that position of trust with them and you do have that, you know, hopefully a really good relationship with them. And it can be sort of, yeah, a bit eye-opening at sometimes the, you know, the things that you're kind of, like the conversations you end up having with them can be quite challenging. So it's it's definitely something that you don't really get taught on coaching courses. That's ne- never came up on my level one or level two or UA for B, but it's certainly something that I think probably every coach will will encounter at some point. Yeah, and I guess it, it's a case of, like you said, it's it's eye-opening, but it, it, you've got to keep your eyes open, haven't you? You've got to to spot the little signs as well because – for some players, it just won't be obvious, will it? You can have fallings out, you can have people not talking to each other, but sometimes that little, that person's a little bit quieter than they normally are. And, you know, it's that knowing whether to stay in your lane or whether to to get involved is the tricky bit. Yeah, and like, I mean, there's things that you don't even see coming. Like, I mean, I have one player who, you know, she was the absolute star of the team. She um, she loved football. She We made her captain. Uh, she was a fantastic player. She um constantly asked questions at training she always wanted to learn um and she was just like she just loved football so much and then 
pretty much overnight she just stopped coming um and no real reason why you know she had there were issues at home certainly but you know she just stopped coming overnight and it was just such a a surprise because you know if you'd have said to her like me and the you know the people I coached with as well you know if one player is going to drop out in the next couple of weeks who will it be like she would have been the last name that any of us would have said so you know you've got things like that where perhaps you don't always know what's going on whether especially when some of the girls go to school together and, and things like that that a lot of stuff goes on outside of football that you yeah you might not always know about so it is you know certainly worth keeping your eyes and and ears open um to all the little things that that can build up over time so you mentioned there are a couple of things i want to pick up on first of all you talked about obviously that player concerned there was a captain now you as a player have been a captain at a couple of your clubs um you know a little bit about uh, you know talking your way through matches and uh, and leadership of, of teams when it comes to youth football obviously yes you can spread the armband around and, and try different people out but what makes a young leader i think there's a lot of different factors so yeah i said when when they're young you do want to kind of give them all a chance and see who comes out of their shell a little bit um when they're given you know some some players will be keen to step up and will, will always be the vocal ones and will be front and centre of everything but then you'll have the ones that are a bit quieter a bit more in their shell and you know just giving them that responsibility could sometimes you know transform them completely and sometimes they can yeah really really step up and for others it might be something that they you know you you give them the opportunity to to be a captain and they just don't want it they just don't want to be the limelight or front and centre or you know for various reasons they don't think they're good enough or they don't have the confidence to speak up in front of their peers or or whatever it is. So I think you have to be careful to a degree of not almost putting somebody off or putting too much pressure on them or putting them in a position that they're not comfortable with. Um, but there's a lot to be said as well for, yeah, sharing the armband around at a young age and just seeing who kind of thrives with that responsibility. But I think when they're a little bit older, the sort of things you really look for, or um, well, certainly that I look for in a captain is somebody who is a bit of a role model for the others. So, you know, basic things they turn up on time they listen when the coach is talking they help put the equipment away at the end of the session without being asked they just they just do it and or you know they ask really good questions when you know you you might be doing a session and they even if they don't understand it or they just want some more information or they're asking how they can improve or they pick up on a you know a point something that happened in a in a game and say oh how could I have done like you know how could I have done this better that player turned me what could I have done should I have got tighter did I get too tight or whatever the situation is, you know, various things like that, where you think you really want to learn, you really want to um, improve, you want, you know, you you act as a role model without even necessarily meaning to deliberately or a player that su- can support their teammates and can, you know, offer them advice or explain things that they don't understand or just notice when one of their teammates is perhaps, you know, a bit quieter than usual or um, there's a new player that's come into the team and they're the one that goes over and introduces themselves and makes them feel comfortable. So there's lots of different aspects to it. You know, it's not necessarily the loudest player by any means. It's not necessarily the the most gifted player. Um, you know, there can be a lot of a lot of different factors that contribute. But those I think those would kind of be the key things that I would be looking for. And then you also talked in a previous answer about, um, you know, mentioning things to, 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 to the other coaches around you. Um, so on that level, then when you're working with, you might be a manager working with a coach, you might be a coach 
working with a manager. You might have two or three people around you. Um, division of labour and support for each other and conversations. You know, what are the tips about getting that right? Because obviously everybody will have their own views and their own opinions. Um, I suppose there's got to be someone who stands up and, and, and takes the leadership role of being the manager. But, you know, what sort of conversation, you know, what sort of roles do, 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 do sort of managers and coaches have in the youth game um, that can help bring the coaches out, you know, the best out of each other? It can be something, to be honest, that at times can be an absolute minefield to navigate because you've got all these you know, in the, in the nicest possible way, you've got all these egos, you've got all these people who are all like, oh, I'm UA for A, I'm UA for B, you know, I've got X number of years of experience and, and all of this. And, you know, you can, at times, you can really butt heads, especially, you know, football's such a such an emotive topic, isn't it? Like, you know, when it comes to, was it a penalty, wasn't it a penalty, to should you be playing 4-4-2 or should you be playing, you know, 4-5-1 or whatever, you know, whatever it is, or should so-and-so start ahead of so-and-so? You've got it's you know it's the cliche but it's a, it's such a game of opinions so I think there's always going to be difficulties when you're working with other people I think as there is in in any walk of life really but it's kind of making sure that you've got that um understanding and that relationship of of knowing who's doing what whose responsibility is is what and you know I was really lucky in my, at my previous club because um I coached with somebody for the entire time so from again from the under 11s through to the under 16s he was with me the whole time he acted as as manager for part of that um and he was happy to let me take on you know the head sort of head coach role and he would often act as a, a sort of secondary coach um but then when I wasn't available he was you know more than capable of stepping up and, and leading the session himself so we ended up developing that really good relationship where we kind of just knew what the other one was doing I was happy to let him take the lead on match days and and pick the team and make the substitutions because I couldn't always be around on a match day so you know I was perfectly happy for him to to lead on that and I wasn't then going to come steaming in and stepping on his toes on the days that I you know I am around for matches so um that kind of just worked out really really well but not everybody will have that situation and there will be times when you you know, you come into a club and or you're, you know, thrown together with another coach and you have that clash and you don't, maybe perhaps don't get along that well or you have contrasting ideas and things like that. But I think it's probably really important that from the beginning of when you work with another coach that you sit down and you kind of have those conversations to start with and you kind of decide, right, you know, I'll take the lead on a Monday session and you can take the lead on a, a Wednesday session or whatever it is and work out, the best way around it for both of you because you know especially at grassroots levels like from coaches perspectives the coaches are looking to develop as much as the players are so you need to have those opportunities to lead a session or to you know um to watch somebody else's session and just take a step back and and see things from a different perspective as well so you know I think it's important to make sure that you're as cooperative as possible obviously but making sure those sort of roles and responsibilities again are nailed down from the start will we'll really help with that um you've obviously as I mentioned at the beginning you play as as well um how apart from the practical side of time and everything else but how do you find combining playing and coaching I mean do you do you take more from your coaching into your playing um particularly when you're sort of training yourself and and and, and seeing what other coaches are doing 
or vice versa? You know, when you do train, you you pick up things and then take that into your coaching world. How you know how do you combine it, and what should player players who coach and coaches who play, um, you know, what should they be doing? Yeah, both of those things really. I think, especially in you know over the past couple of years, when I, since I've sort of done my UEFA B. And now I've got a coach um, who coaches me, who's doing his UA for A. It's like now I'm able to kind of see things, you know, perhaps that I wouldn't have seen before. I'm able to understand, oh, you know, why has he set out the session like that? Why has he um, divided the pitch in this way? Or why have the corners been chopped off the, you know, the pitch? And we've got it, you know, a quite a narrow, um, a, you know, wide in the midfield and it goes narrow at the ends of the pitch. Like why, what is he trying to achieve by doing that? And I've got, you know, perhaps years ago, I wouldn't have had that understanding. I wouldn't have had that even thought to really question it. It would just be, okay, that's what it is. Not really thinking about what the aims and outcomes of the session are. Um, so definitely now I've got a much deeper understanding and, and more sort of inquisitive in, in that respect, which, yeah, certainly helps. Um, certainly helps me as a player because it means I can, I think I can problem solve better on the pitch because I'm able to understand, as I say, why a session's been set out like that so it's like right what's he trying to get out of it what's he trying to get us to do um what are the objectives and then how do you know how do we go about being successful in that and then you know that I can hopefully I can kind of relay that to to other players in the session as well and you know it's you know more successful for it um and then vice versa from you know a, a playing perspective it helps me as as a coach because I understand what players think. I understand what players feel. I understand, what, you know, the signs of, of boredom in a session when it perhaps isn't going to plan um, and players are getting a bit fed up and, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, you, they, it just helps overall. So certainly I would say that I would encourage young players. I think you can take the, um, the free FA player, player maker, playmaker course, which is on the FA website, which is kind of like the, introduction to coaching um I think you can take that from when you're sort of 14 15 so I would you know 100% would encourage any player to to you know make a start even if they don't really have any ambitions to become a coach like, a you never know things might change in the future but also it just gives you a, a different perspective and a, a greater understanding which I think can only help you as a player so let's come on then uh, for the final part of this to uh to Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine. Um, you're the editor. It launched in, in December of last year, 2020, as we record this. Um, so it's been going a year now. Um, and you've had quite a few star names as, as, as feature interviews in that time. Yeah, it's been a um, really good positive start, like first year um, of the publication, really. So, yeah, we've had uh, amazing names from both the UK, US, uh, Canada, um, so we've had people like uh, Dawn Scott, who, you know, is prominent in working with the the US women's national team and the England Lionesses as well. And we've had people like Amy Griffin, who coaches the US women's deaf team and is also a coach at OL Reign. We've had we've recently had the um, Barcelona head coach. We've recently had uh, Lisa Fallon, um, who's worked in the in the men's game in Ireland. Um, so yeah, we've had some like really fantastic names um, from from across coaching. So um, and it's not, but it's not just about that. It's you know, it's great to have these names. It's great to have uh, the support of these names and to pick their brains for for everything. But we target all coaches across all all levels, and you know, 
whether it's a volunteer mum or dad working you know once a week for an hour uh with a you know under sevens team or whether it's somebody looking to do their pro license um we target all of them so um yeah we've had coaches from across the spectrum really but so while the you know the big names are fantastic um some of the contributions we've had from from other coaches have you know been really insightful and they've offered fantastic advice and really relevant advice to coaches that will be at a similar stage of their career um as they are yeah and I guess that's the thing isn't it that um rather like soccer coach weekly in a way that you've got you have contributions from from coaches from like you say from from FA level one up to to, to UA for A and B but you know also you've got that aspirational side of it so people can learn from their peers and each other and everything else but they can also take little gems from from the elite level um it really you know so it really is something for everyone um you've also though had some special editions um of of, of the magazine that sort of break down and, and focus on particular special areas of interest um you know tell us a little bit more about those yeah we've done a few of those now so we started um our first one of those was i think it was february um february this year which was all around uh, the menstrual cycle um so obviously big topic um in recent times a lot of research has, has started to go into it but there's obviously still a long way to go and in terms of understanding the menstrual cycle and how it affects players and their physical performance, well, you know, psychological factors and, and everything else. So um, kind of just making, building that awareness, I think, for coaches, again, at all levels of the game to, to really realise that that could impact their players, whether their players are training full time every single day of the week um, or whether they're training, you know, once or twice a week. I think it's, it's important to have that awareness. We've recently done one around um, mums, so mums who coach, um, Again, there's a, a lot going on around that area um, and we've had some really, really good insight about, you know, how to juggle being a mum and coaching or how to, you know, coach your own children or, or whatever it is. So that was another a special we did. Um, we've also done one around youth coaching and, you know, specifically coaching within the youth game. Um, we've done one around communication um, and looking at different aspects of that. Again, that was that was Amy Griffin who provided really great insight on that obviously coaching a deaf team as well as a a non-deaf team I think that that was really um, insightful to to look at how she deals with the challenges around communication so that was a really good one um so yeah we've done we've done a few of those specials we've probably got a couple more lined up as well um over the coming months so um so yeah definitely gives us that opportunity to go a bit more in depth into into really valuable topics and then sort of outside of those, any sort of particular favourite pieces you could you could pick out from 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 the first 12 months of women's soccer coaching? Oh, there's been a lot. That's quite difficult to, to narrow it down. But um, certainly we've had some really, really interesting ones that I think have opened my eyes as a, a coach as well. And, and just getting that insight from from other coaches and their expertise has been really, uh, really invaluable. Um, I know we have one right back. It might have been issue two or three. Uh, from Justin Bryant, who's a, a goalkeeper coach in the US. And, you know, he did a piece around how to work with like shorter goalkeepers, which is, you know, for for female teams, that's something that probably, I don't know, like 90% of teams will face that challenge of, you know, you don't have a six foot five goalkeeper like you do in the men's game, yet the goals are the same height. Um, so how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the technical or tactical challenges, physical challenges that that presents and how can you, you know, work around that? Um, that was a really great piece. We've had 
got all sorts around um, how players learn. Um, we did a piece around sort of storytelling in coaching and, and building in, you know, sort of Disney themes and that to keep players interested and to really engage them and to like spark their imagination and things like that. So that was really interesting. Um, we've had some great sort of session plans from uh, coaches across the game. We've had um, an FA coach, Kelsey Byrne, did a really interesting piece around uh, using stats to inform your coaching sessions. So she based that around uh, some finishing stats that she'd got from the Women's Super League around, you know, how many touches a player can take before they get a shot off or where the assists come from or how many players might be sort of in front of the ball trying to trying to defend it in certain areas of the pitch and, and things like that. And it's like how you then build that information, like real life game scenario like situations into your into your coaching practices so that you're coaching for things that, you know, are, are relevant to the game. And that's the thing, isn't it? That's neatly segues me into my next point, which is the very fact that the magazine covers, a, you know, there's a lot of areas, aren't there, which are very specific to coaching in the female game. You know, it is ostensibly it's the same sport, but it's different. And, and, and female players and particularly young female players, you know, learn differently. They're inspired by different things. They're interested in different things a lot of the time. You know, it's not a generalization, but you know, and coaches, male coaches in particular, need to know how to tap into to, to female players. Uh, and this is a resource that allows them to do that. Yeah, and there's so many different aspects to it, which, you know, obviously, you know, the, you know, the basics of, you know, females, generally speaking, aren't as fast as men, they're not as strong as men, like we, we know all of those things, that's nothing new. But there's so much to tap into around, like you said, how females learn their interests, even things like um, when we did our interview with Lisa Fannon a couple of weeks ago, she was talking about, you know, tactically how, you know, you might not be as worried in the female game about, you know, a big switch across the pitch. So you could potentially, therefore, tactically have your your back line shuffled across a bit more because they don't have to cover so much of the pitch as quickly as, as they would in the male game. Um, so it's just like little things like that that you think, yeah, that's, you know, on on the when you say it, it seems really obvious, but it's it's just those sort of things that coaches who perhaps don't have that experience of the female game or, um, you know, perhaps don't have experience of, of generally working with with females as as people, as, you know, not just as players, but as people. Um, and just giving that giving them that really specific, valuable insight that can help them become better coaches and, and equally, you know, then support their players even more. And it's a, a big question, I suppose. Um, I don't know what you can tell us, but what, what's what's coming up for in the future for Women's Soccer Coaching Magazine? I mean, obviously, you've, you've got your first year out of the way and there's presumably some big topics that you want to try and explore in the coming months and, 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 and year. Yeah, there's, there's still plenty to explore. I mean, um, we've not touched on all sorts of things yet. So like ACL injuries in females, which we know, you know, research tells us is, is more prominent in females. We haven't touched on that yet. So that will be something that we'll um, hopefully be looking at in the new year. Um, concussions in, in female athletes. Again, that's something that research is really starting to come out about now. So, so that's hopefully something we can, we can get onto as well. And obviously a lot of the features are around coaches getting the best out of their players and supporting their players uh, and the personal and social and uh, technical development of their players. But it has to be as much about the coaches being able to support themselves and each other. I mean, there was the 
that I know there was the mental health um, sort of articles, uh, you know, about knowing what to, you know, what signs to look out for, but also about how to, 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 to look after your own mental health as a coach. And sometimes, you know, coaches are so concentrated quite rightly on looking after their charges that sometimes their own well-being gets forgotten. And, and I think another point was made in, in one of the other articles that, you know, you wouldn't, um, you know, you wouldn't allow yourself, you wouldn't allow a player, sorry, to, to be up at one o'clock in the morning watching videos of your previous match. So why on earth are you doing it? Yeah, and there's, you know, I'm sure that is such a common theme among among coaches, you know, whether you're a volunteer coach who has a day job. So, you know, you need to fit in all of this um, analysis and session planning and reflection and all of that around your day job, which, you know, is always going to be a challenge. Or whether you're a full-time coach who deals with a lot of different teams or a lot of different players, or you're working at a very high level where there are very high demands and it's a results-driven business. Um, you know, there's always going to be added stresses and, and added pressures when when you're coaching. So I think, yeah, we did, as you say, we did a piece around, well, quite a few pieces around mental health and, and supporting yourself as a coach, um, as well as supporting your players. And I think that's really important because, you know, when it comes down to it, if you're not looking after yourself and you're burning out yourself, then how can you support and look after your players? So I think that's something that's really key and, and certainly something that we'll delve further into going forwards. Well, Hannah, good luck for uh, for the next twelve months of of women's soccer coaching. The next thirteen issues, as it as it is, um, um, well done on the first year, um, and good luck in terms of your playing and coaching uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, thanks very much, and just sort of want to take the the opportunity as well to say thanks to all those coaches that have um, supported the magazine in its first year, that have subscribed, that have, have read an issue, that have given feedback, that and that have contributed as well. So we certainly couldn't have done it without without them all. So. Um, yeah, just my usual call out to any coaches that are involved in the female game. Um, if you want to get involved, if you've got suggestions, if you've got ideas, if you want to write something, send a session in, then uh, please do let me know because it's it's the content that makes it as good as it is. So um, we need we need you guys. So please keep sending stuff in. And the email address is? It is editor at womensoccercoaching.com and you can find us at Soccer Coaching on Twitter as well. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Hannah, for joining us. Uh, thanks to you as well for listening. Uh, for practice plans, advice, interviews and much more, visit our website, soccercoachweekly.net. And for more on Women's Soccer Coaching magazine and to subscribe to that, visit womenssoccercoaching.com. Uh, I'm Andrew Rayburn. Join us again soon here on the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. <laughs>